As tonight on California Hots Radio, I'm going to continue my reading of Yuletide in Many Lands, a history of Yuletide celebrations from around the world. I'll be right back. Grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> I don't know what I did that for. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you think you might have a paranormal problem, we can help you out. Um, California is a big state, so it might take us a while to get to you, but uh, yeah, we can definitely help you out with that. And in the, in the event that we can't get there right away, we do have psychics on staff who could phone you and uh, talk with you about what may or may not be going on. And in most cases, they can set, settle down the energy or whatever's going on until we can get out there. But like I said, it may take us one or two days, okay? Okay, if you're watching from Facebook, and a lot of you are, and you haven't done so already, please feel free to follow. Uh, we're always looking for followers, trying to build up our... Build up our presence online, and if you're what you know, if you're if you're happy with what you see today during the show, please uh, give us a thumbs up, a heart, a smiley, show us some love. Even cut, you know, come on into the chat room, have have yourselves a little chat, because what that does is uh, it it registers on the main computers at Facebook, and it puts us out there to where they sh- where Facebook will share us around more, kind of be like tossed around, right? Same thing with YouTube. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel by now, please feel free to do so. Uh, doesn't cost anything. Hello, Jerry. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's, we're, we're trying to reach that thousand subscriber goal. I was hoping by New Year's. It may work, it may not. We don't know. You know, I'm, I'm real close to that goal. So if you could find it in your heart to do that, that'd be great. Same rules apply over there. Show us some love, some thumbs up, some hugs, things like that. Uh, because that puts us out there. That, that has YouTube pull us out there and put us out there in that little netherworld thing, you know, to get us out in front of people. And maybe you're home and there's some people that uh, have people in your house, right? And uh, they haven't heard the show yet and you, you like the show, so share it with them. Have them come on over go, hey, check out this little show. You can find us on Facebook at California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, California Haunts, Ca- uh, California Haunts Radio, California Haunts Ghostly Events. You can find it under my name. You can find it find us under Sacramento Sears, S-E-E-R-S. You can find us over at YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. We're on Instagram under Ghosty Gal, all lowercase. You can find us over at, at TikTok, and we are California Haunts over there. On Twitter, we are California Haunts. And on Twitch, I believe we are Cal Haunts. You can also find us at meetup.com, California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team at meetup.com. Okay. That being said, again, if there's anybody, you know, if, if, if you like what you hear today and all that, Feel free to share us. Share us around. Just like tonight, you know, I'm going to be reading from this book. And 
if you're having dinner, it's great to just listen. You know, put your fuzzy slippers on, dim those lights, get your eggnog or hot cocoa, whatever it is you drink, and sit down by the fire and just listen, right? Just listen to these stories. This particular book that I have, Yuletide in Many Lands, is a book that was written in 1908. So when I talk about traditions, we're going way back in traditions, way back to olden times before, you know, before there was even electricity. Okay. So we're going to be talking about that. And we already read, we already went over, let me move some of this over. I hate, I hate having cords dangling. Okay. And we already, you know, got to the point of this book. Uh, we're in chapter two. No, we're in chapter three. Sorry. And we did uh, Yuletide in ancient times. And we also covered Yuletide in England. Well, now we're going to go to Germany. So you're going to come on, come on this journey to Germany with me and to see what, what their things were. And what, what was interesting about England was that, you know, we always talk about the turkey during the holidays, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, maybe even a ham at Christmas, right? With England, it was interesting because, yes, they, they technically they have ham because the main uh, dish on their plates or their tables back in the 1800s, early 1800s, mid-1800s, was wild boar. So in a way, that kind of takes us back to that whole ham thing. But the secondary thing on their tables was pheasant. So who'd have figured that, right? So it's pheasant. So now we're going to go to Germany, and I'm going to, re I'm going to read from this book, and we're going to see what, the, what it was like in Germany in those, in those ancient olden days. We're going to start out uh, learning about Alexander the Great. Let me have a little drink here. I know you guys like my cup. Uh, let's get my cup ready. Let's see, we're going to just fill up Santa here. You can hear me filling up Santa. Okay, now I'll drink from Santa. So I'm going to be reading tonight, and this one, um, like I said, it was written in 1908. So here we go, and uh, like I said, I'm going to be off page here reading, so if you have a comment or something, I'll check back, you know, sporadically to, to look at the comments and stuff. But like I said, this is one of those things where you have to sit here and stare at me just reading. You can go do whatever you need to do. I have people that, that do their laundry and clean their house. and They uh, put me in their pocket and off they go about to do their business. So, okay, here we go. Yuletide in, in many lands. Yuletide in Germany. I'm going to kind of move this over here too because, okay. Okay. Just a little bit. Okay. All right. So here we go. It was way back at the time of Alexander the Great that Germany was known to be civil, to be the civilized world of an adventurous sailor. Named, oh, sorry about this. Let me start over. I got ahead of myself. It was way back in the time of Alexander the Great that Germany was made known to the civilized world by an adventurous sailor named Pythias, a man of more than ordinary talent who was sailing northward and discovered a land inhabited by a then unknown people. He reported his discovery to the Romans. But the difficulty was that Pythias had seen so much more than any of the Greeks or Romans of those days that they utterly refused to believe his statements. Time has proved that the sailor was nearer right in many, was nearer right in many of his apparently visionary statements that his countrymen dreamed, although it has taken centuries to prove the fact in some cases. The people whom Pythias then introduced to the, 
Now I'm going to say Pythias. I'm the P-Y-T-H-E-A-S. That's so worn with it. The, the people whom Pythias then introduced to the polite world were Teutons, T-E-U-T-O-N-S, a branch of the great Aryan race and closely related to the early English. The men were simple, truthful, and brave, but were quarrelsome. The women were much like those of today in their characteristics, virtuous, proud, and dignified, very beautiful, with golden-hued hair, blue eyes, and fresh hair complexions. Like most of the early peoples, the, the Teutons, 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 the Teutons worship gods and goddesses, and so have many customs and traditions in common with other branches of the Aryans. If England has enjoyed the merriest dual tides of the past, certainly Germany enjoys the merriest of the present. For in no other country is the day so fully and hardly observed. It is the great occasion of the year and means much, much to the people. For a week or more before the day, loads of evergreen trees of all sizes may be seen coming into the cities and towns to be piled up in squares and open places until the entire place looks like a forest of small firs. One wonders where they all come from and for how many years the supply is going to last. But it is not likely to fail at present. The Lutherans gave Martin Luther the credit of introducing the Christmas tree into Germany. He may have helped to make it popular, but certainly there is abundant evidence to prove that it was known long before the Reformer's time. It is generally supposed to have its origin in mythological times and to be a vestige of the marvelous tree. Okay, I can't say this. Y-G-G-D-R-A-S-I-L. I'm not even going to go there. So it's Y-G-G-D-R-A-I-S-L. Okay, I'm not even going to go there. Possibly, Martin Luther thought of the old story of the tree and, he, and imagined, as he traveled alone one night, how pretty the snow-laden fir trees along this path would look could they be lighted by twinkling stars overhead. But whether he had anything to do with it or not, the tree is now one of the most important features of Yuletide among the Germans of all denominations. Nearly 10 million households require one or two trees each Christmas, varying in height from 2 to 20 feet. Societies provide them for people who are too poor to buy them, and very few are overlooked at this happy holiday season. The Grand Yuletide Festival is open on the eve of St. Nicholas Day, December 6th. In fact, bazaars are held from the first of the month, which is really one prolonged season of merrymaking. In Germany, St. Nicholas has a day set apart in his honor. He was born in Polera, a city of Lycia. And but very little is known about his life, except that he made, he was made bishop of Myra and died in the year 343. It was once the custom to send a man named around to personate St. Nicholas on St. Nicholas Eve and to inquire how the children had behaved in the year. Those children, of course, who were deserving of gifts and who needed a touch of the birch rods that he carried with him into every room. St. Nicholas still goes about in some parts of the country, and in the bazaars and shops are sold little bunches of rods, real or made of candy, such as St. Nicholas is supposed to deal in. In some places, Knight Rupert takes the place of St. Nicholas in visiting the houses, but Chris Kringle has nearly usurped the place St. Nicholas once held in all of respect by German children. Because St. Nicholas Day came so near to Christmas, in some countries the saints became associated with that celebration, although in Germany 
the eve of his birthday continues to be observed. Germans purchase liberally of the toys and confectionery offered at the bazaars, and nowhere are prettier toys and confectionery found than in Germany, the country which furnishes the most beautiful toys in the world. From the palace to the hut, Yuletide is the season of peace, rest, joy, and devotion. For three years, that is the day, or for three days, that is the day before Christmas. Christmas. And the day after, known as Boxing Day. All business is absolutely, all business is not absolutely to the welfare of the community are, is suspended. Stores, markets, and bazaars present a festive appearance. The young girl attendants are smiling and happy, and everyone seems to be in the best of humor. Many of the poorer class of Germans do not eat much meat, but at Christmas all indulge in that extravagance, so the markets are, usual, are unusually crowded. They all like to purchase a plant of flower for Christmas, and the flower stores are marvelous of beauty and sweetness. Remember, this book was written in 1908, so <laughs> it may not be that way now. Everyone is busy preparing for the great occasion. Grown folks become children again in the simplicity of their enjoyment and enter into the excitement with as much enthusiasm as do the children. Newspapers are not generally published during the three days of business suspension for no one would have time or interest to read them at such a season. In many places, churches are open during the week before Christmas, for with all the bustle and excitement incident to the preparations, the people, young and old, are filled with a deep spirit of devotion and never for an instant forget the significance of the occasion they commemorate. Churches are not trimmed, nor are they made attractive with flowers, songs, or in any special way. But the people go to listen with devotion to the telling of the old, old story of Christ's birthday and of the first holy night at Bethlehem. The day before Christmas, all are busy trimming up their homes, preparing for the great day. Usually the mother of the household trims the tree, not admitting any other member of the curious and expected family into the home, into the room. Tables are provided for holding the gifts, as everyone in the family is expected to make a gift to go to every other member. And it is surprising to note that interest taken in these simple gifts, often a soap rose, an artificial flower, knitted lace, even sausages, cheese, and butter, and with each and all the ever-present Christmas cake. It is spiced and hard, cut into every manner of device, men, women, animals, stars, hearts, etc. The Pfeiffer Kuchen, which is pepper cakes, or some similar cake, are to be seen everywhere at Christmas time. The gifts are accompanied with short verses, good, bad, or indifferent, according to the talent of the giver, but all serve to make the occasion merry. In some families, these simple and expensive gifts are so carefully kept that collections may, may be seen of gifts received by different members of the family since their infancy. On Christmas Eve, the guests assemble early, and by six o'clock, the signal is given for the door of the mysterious room to be opened to admit the family to the tree. How about this? Oh, hemlock tree. Oh, hemlock tree. I'm just reading. How faithful are thy branches. So scare me. Green not alone in summertime, but in the winter frost and rime. Oh, hemlock tree. Oh, hemlock tree. How faithful are thy branches. And now that I broke your ears, I'm sorry. I just couldn't resist. <laughs> it just came up. It is a blaze with tiny lighted tapers and radiant with shiny tinsel cut in pretty devices or in thread-like strips. 
bright balls, gay toys, and paper flowers help to enhance its beauty, and sometimes scenes from sacred history are arranged with toys at the base of the tree. With the distribution of the gifts, the fun begins. Each person is expected to kiss every other person present and to help make the occasion a merry one. With the distribution of the gifts, the f I'm sorry, <laughs> see, I got ahead. Holy Night, or as the Germans turn it, Hoiknacht, the night of dedication, I tried, is the time of family reunions, fun and frolic. Not alone in homes, hospitals, prisons, barracks, or elsewhere in the pretty uh, big sailed tree to be seen on Christmas. But in, but in burying grounds, on the resting places of the dead, stand these fresh green trees in evidence of keeping the loved ones memory green. While the custom of having a tree is universal throughout Germany, and from thence has been introduced into some other countries, there are many customs peculiar to certain sections. In some of the little out-of-the-way places in the Tyrolese Alps, the old-time miracle plays are enacted in a most primitive manner. As the peasants rarely, if ever, attend the theater or have any opportunity to see a modern play, this occasion attracts them far from far and near. Where is the theater? Who are the actors? Do you ask? The theater is the largest place available, sometimes a large room, sometimes a barn, anything that will accommodate the crowd that is sure to come. In one description of a play given on Christmas Day, it is stated that the people assembled in a barn belonging to the, to, to the vicarage to witness the paradise play. The top of the huge pottery stove, at least five feet high, served for the throne of God and the Father. Throne, throne of God the Father. The stove being hidden by screens painted to represent clouds. The play began at the beginning at chaos. A large paper screen bedecked with the protrusion of suns, moons, stars, and comets formed a background, while in front of the in front sprawled a number of boys in tights with, with, with board wig, wings fastened to their shoulders to represent angels. The language was as simple as and, and, and primitive as the scenery. Yet, for the credulous, devout peasants, no distance is too great, no pass is too steep or rough, no march on dusty high roads too fatiguing. If a miracle or passion play is their goal, fascinating. Does it seem sacrilegious? Not to those who attend it in the spirit of, of humility and devotion, as do these Tyrolese peasants. In some places, plays are given in churches on Christmas, as they were formerly in England. But these are not common. And, there are, and they are only found in remote places. Throughout this country, there is always a church service in the morning, in which, it, it, in which is very generally attended. Protestants and Catholics alike making Christmas the day of old a year in which they attend church. The name Christmas probably originated from the order that was given for the, for the saying Mass, called Christ Mass, for the sins of the people on the day that commemorates the Savior's birth. One beautiful feature of a German Christmas is the widespread thought for the poor and the interest taken in them. Many wealthy families have charge of a certain number of poor families and on Christmas Day invite them to their own luxurious homes to receive gifts and enjoy the tree prepared for them. An address, prayer, and song as they stand around the tree precedes the distribution of the gifts, usually of clothing and food with which the guests fill the bags and baskets they bring with them. And for all there is in abundance of Pfeiffer Kuchen or some other Christmas cake.
In the midst of all the excitement of lighted tree and pretty gifts, German children seldom forget to return thanks for what they receive. They are taught that all these gifts come from the Christ child and that the occasion is not for selfish enjoyment, but to give pleasure to others, and that no one is too poor to give kindly to give kindly thought and pleasant words to those around them. In some parts of Germany, Lorraine is one, the people burn the Yule log, sometimes a huge log that will last through the three days festivities. Sometimes there's one so small that the family sit before it until it's all consumed. Sometimes a part of the log is suspended from the ceiling of the room and each person present blows at it, hoping to make a spark fall on some watching face. Oh, that's pleasant. Then again, some carry a piece of the log to bed with them to protect them from, 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 from lightning. But the Yule log is not very generally known in this land of great pottery stoves and closed fireplaces. And that may be one reason why post wagons go rumbling about at Christmas time, carrying parcels from place to place and from door to door, blowing their post horns continuously instead of the parcels being dropped down chimneys by Santa Claus. It is customary also in some parts of the country for the people and their animals to fast the day before Christmas. At midnight, the people attend church, and it is said that the cattle kneel, then both men and beasts partake of a hearty meal. There are places in the German Alps where it is believed that the cattle are blessed with the gift of language for a while on Christmas Eve. That would be cool. But as it is a very great sin to listen, no one has yet reported any conversation among them. In another part of the country, it is thought that the Virgin Mary, with a company of angels, passes over the land on holy night, and so tables are spread with the best larders afford the candles are lighted and left burning, that the, that the angelic visitors may find abundant food should they chance to stop on their way. Boxing Day, when boxes prepared for the poor are distributed, follows the holy day, and after that business is resumed although festivities do, do not cease. Sylvester, or New Year's Eve, is the next occasion to be observed during Yuletide. The former name was given in honor of the first pope of that time, but still retained by many. After the usual church service in the early evening, the intervening hours before midnight are spent in the most boisterous merriment. Fun of all sorts within the limit of law and decency prevails. Anyone venturing forth wearing a silk hat is in danger of having his, his hat, if not his head, smashed. Hat off, cries the one who, who spies one of these head coverings. As if the order is not instantly obeyed, woe! And if the order is not instantly obeyed, woe beside the luckless wearer. At midnight, old Germany, or at least all the cities and the larger towns, may be seen out of doors or leaning from windows, waiting for the bells to ring out the old year and welcome in the new. At first stroke of the bells, there arises one universal salute of prosit. <laughs> N-U, I'm not going to do this. N-U-E-G-A-H-R. Happy, bottom line, happy new year. It is all good-natured fun. A wild, exuberant farewell to the old year. The closing scene of the joyous Yuletide. We have a poem called The Christmas Tree. The oak is a strong and stalwart tree, and it lifts its branches up and catches the dew right gallantly. 
in many a dainty cup. And the world is brighter and better made because of the woodman's stroke, descending in the sun or falling in shade on the sturdy form of the oak. But stronger I ween in apparel green and trapping so far to see, with its precious freight for small and great, it is the beautiful Christmas tree. The elm is a kind of godly tree, a goodly tree, with its branches bending low. The heart is glad when its form we see and wilts to the river's flow. And we list to the rivers. Okay, okay. Ah, the heart is glad, the pulse is bound, and joy illumines the face, whether a goodly elm is found because of its beauty and grace. But kinder I ween, more goodly in vain. Mean, am I in? But kinder I ween, more goodly in mean, with branches more drooping and free. The tint of those leaves, fidelity weaves. It is the beautiful Christmas tree. That was by Hattie S. Russell. All right, we're moving on to Scandinavia, Yuletide in Scandinavia. You have a little sip of drinky here. See, I hope you're learning. I love this book. It's fascinating. I'm a history buff. I'm also, I'm, uh, you know, being a history, I'm mostly a, um, you know, I like this type of history. All right, now this is uh, Fruits, Sega, Trans, Baylor, Taylor. Okay, this is um, in parentheses, or in quotes right here. To Norway, to Norway, the most northern limit of Scandinavia, one turns for the first observance of Christmas in Scandinavia, for the keeping of the Yuletide in the land of Odin, of the Vikings, Sagas, Midnight Sun, and the gorgeous Aurora Borealis. This one of the twin countries stretching far to the north with habitations within 19 degrees of the North Pole. And the several countries which formed ancient Scandinavia are one in spirit regarding Christmas, although not in many other respects. In the far north, among the vast tribe of Laps, in their cold, benighted country, as Christmas approaches, each wandering tribe heads its ranger toward the nearest settlement containing a church, that it may listen to the story of the first Christmas morn which is told year after year by the pastor, and yet is ever new and interesting to the people who come from great distances, drawn over the fields of the crisp snow by their fleet-footed reindeer. The Lap is apparently a joyous individual. Men, women, and children seem bereft of all power of amusement, beyond what tends to keep them alive, such as fishing, hunting, and traveling about to feed their herds of reindeer. They have no games, no gift for music. They never dance nor play cards. But year after year drag out an existence, living within low earth-covered huts and in tents. Even the best homes are low and poorly ventilated. For windows are not needed where darkness reigns for months together, where the sun is not even seen at all during six or seven weeks of the year, and where people live out of doors during the long summer day of sunlight that follows. In their low, stuffy homes, which at Christmas are filled with guests from the wandering laughs, there is no room for the pretty tree and decorative evergreens. The joy afforded these people at Yuletide is in the reunion of friends, in attending church services, in the uniting of couples in marriage, and the last, in the abundance of liquor freely distributed during the season. That could work. The children are made happy by being able to attend school, for at Christmas they're brought into the settlements with friends for this purpose. They have only a few weeks schooling during the year, 
from Christmas to Easter. And while the schoolmasters are stationed at the little towns, the children work hard to gain the knowledge of books and religion which they crave. In this terrible winter night of existence, mist and appalling darkness of nature and mind, the one great occasion of the year is Christmas. Not the merry, bright festification of their more favored brothers and sisters, but what to them is the happiest in the year. Christmas Eve passes unnoticed. The aurora may be even more beautiful than usual. Its waving draperies more fantastic, more gorgeous hued, but it is unnoticed by the Laps who have seen it from childhood. Men, women, children, servants, guests, and animals crowd into the small, low homes without a thought of Santa Claus coming to visit them. Children have no stockings to hang up, and there are no chimneys for Santa to descend. In fact, he and his reindeer, with their loads of treasured gifts, probably left this region with the sun, bound for a more congenial location. The church bells break the terrible silence of the sunless towns on Christmas morning, and as the fur-encased natives wend their way to the church, greeting one another as they meet, there is a faint approach to joyousness. Of course, there must be real sorrow and joy whenever there is life and love, although among the Laps it is hard to discern. During the Yuletide, the Laps visit one another, attend what governmental business there may be, give in, mar give in marriage, christen the children, and bury the dead, whose bodies lay beneath their covering of snow awaiting this annual visit to the Norwegian clergyman for their final internment. Think of Christmas without a tree, without wreaths and flowers, without stockings full of gifts, with a, din with a dinner of reindeer meat and no plum pudding. And imagine what would be his sensation, what would be his sensation, okay, could a lap child be put into a home in England, America, Germany, or even in other parts of Scandinavia? What would he say could he receive such gifts as were given you last Christmas? But laps are only a small part of the population of Norway. Norwegian children have many jolly times around the Christmas trees and enjoy hunting for their little gifts, which are often tucked away in various places for them to find. Then there are all sorts of pretty games for them to play and quantities of appetizing food prepared for their pleasure. The young folks earn their feast for all day long before Christmas. They're busy tying bunches of oats and corn on the trees, the fences, the tops of houses, and the barns and on high poles which they erect in, the, in their yards, until... Poem from Gable Bard and Stable protrudes the birdie's table, spread with a sheaf of corn. End quote. The Norwegians begin their Christmas with divine services, after which they meet together for repast, which is an appetizer for the feast to follow. A pipe of tobacco is given to each man and boy present. Then they smoke while the, while, while the feast, the great feature of the day, is being made ready. Fish, poultry, meats, and every variety of food known to the Norwegian housewife is served in courses, between which toasts are given. Hell's drink and the songs of Norway rendered. Among the latter, all Norway is included, for the people never forget the past history of their beloved country. One of the pretty customs of these occasions is that each guest on arising turns to the host and hostess, who remain seated at either end of the table, and, 
bowing to each, expresses his thanks for the meal. Sometimes, after the serving of tea at seven o'clock, little boys in white mantles, with star-shaped lanterns and dolls to represent the Virgin and the Holy Babe, enter the room and sing sweet carols. Often strolling musicians arrive, such as go from place to place at Christmas. After a large supper, the guests depart on sledges for their homes, which are often miles distant. Do you suppose, on Christmas Eve, as they look toward the fading light in the West, the children of Norway ever think of their Scandinavian cousins, little Icelanders, and their peat houses on that isolated island in the sea, where the shortest day is four hours long, and where at Christmas time the sun does not rise above the horizon for a week, and wonder how they are celebrating Yuletide? Christmas is a great day for them also, for they cling to the old songs and customs, and could the west wind convey the sound of glad voices across the wide expanse of water, separating the island from the mainland, Norwegian children might hear the, the Icelandic children singing one of their sweet old songs. I don't know the, the tune, so here we go. I'm just going to read it. When I do good and think, all right, at peace with man, resigned to God, thou look that thou lookest on me with eyes of light, tasting new joys, tasting new joys and joys abode. In Sweden, there was a general house cleaning before Christmas. Everything must be polished, scrubbed, beaten, and made clean. An old rubbish burned for dirt, like sinful thoughts, cannot be tolerated during the Holy Festival. As early as the 1st of December, each housewife starts her preparations for the great day. Many have worked all the year making gifts for the occasion, but now the carpets must be kept, must come up and be beaten. The paint must be cleaned and the house set in order. The silver, which has been handed down from generation to generation, together with that received on holidays and birthdays, has to be cleaned and polished. So much the brasses, so 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 must the brasses, the tall fire logs, the stately andirons, and the great kettles all must be made to reflect every changing ray of light. Then the baking for well-ordered household for the well for a well-ordered household is a matter of great moment, and requires ample time. It is usual to be in at least two weeks before Christmas. Bread is made of wheat and rye flour, raised overnight, then rolled very thin and cut into discs 12 or 14 inches in diameter, with a hole in the center. After having been baked, these are strung on a stick and left to dry under the beams of the baking room. As they will keep for a long while, large quantities are made at this season in each household. Then follows the making of the sweetened soft rye, wheat, and other breads, as well as the baking of the light yellow saffron, cho the chocolate brown, and the thin gray colored cakes, and those that are filled with custard. Yum. The preparing of Christmas drinks always requires the close attention of good dames, but there must be an inexhaustible supply of Christmas beer, ha, made sense, made of malt, water, molasses, and yeast, and wine with almonds and spices and various other con concoctions. I can, I can see that. That would be cool. Ah, uh, here's my favorite part. Then the cheese must be re made ready. I am a cheese fiend. Not only the usual sour kind, but the more delicious sweet cheese that is made of sweet milk, boiled slowly for hours, and prettily molded. 
The Swedish wife is relieved of the burden of making pies, as her people know nothing about the indigestible mixture so acceptable to the American palates. The festivities begin with the dressing of the tree the day before Christmas. In this, the older members of the family, with friends and relatives, join with great gusto, preparing paper flowers with which to bedeck the tall evergreen tree, which reaches from floor to ceiling. They cut long ribbons of colored paper for streamers and make yards of paper fringed to wind with a tinsel among the boughs, from which are hung bright colored boxes of sweetmeats, fruit, and fancy balls. The children are, of course, excluded from the room and obliged to content themselves with repeating the tales of Santa Claus, as told by their elders. When a gift is offered in person, or, as is more generally the case, is thrown in the door, suddenly by an unseen hand, there rings a merry, glad freedom, good, good jewel, meaning Merry Christmas. For that is the wish of the preceding day or days, rather than of the Christmas itself. On Christmas Eve and early nightfall, when the colored candles are ablaze over the entire tree, and the great red ball of light shines from its topmost branches, the children are admitted to the room amidst a babble of shouts and screams of delight, which are increased upon the arrival of a veritable Santa Claus, bestooned with wool snow and laden with baskets of gifts. On the huge sled are one or more baskets according to the number of bundles to be distributed in the family. Each bundle bears the name of the owner on its wrapper, together with funny rhymes and mottos, which are read aloud for the amusement of all. Santa Claus always gives an abundance of valuable counsel and advice to the young folk as he bestows upon them his pretty gifts. After the distribution of gifts and the disappearance of Santa Claus, all join in dancing and singing around the tree, simple childish jingles, such as the following. Now is Christmas here again. Now is Christmas here again. After Christmas, then comes Easter. Cheese and bread and Christmas beer. Fish and rice and Christmas cheer. Excuse me. One of the prettiest dances is that of cutting the oats, in which girls and boys there must be, and there has to be an extra boy, dance in a circle singing. Cut the oats, cut the oats. Who is going to bind them? They, my dearest, will have to do. That, my dearest, will have to do. But where will I find him? I saw him last eve in the moonlight, and the moonlight clear and bright. So you take one, and I'll take one, and he will be left without one. The boys represent the cutters and the girls the oats, and great merriment prevails as the cutters' arms encircle the waist of the pretty cat, the pretty oats, leaving the unfortunate cutter, whom they all dance around, bowing scoffingly as they shout. No one did want you, poor sprite. No one wants you. You are left alone. You are left alone. Kind of like doing sports in school, right? <laughs> Many other games are similar to Blind Man's Bluff. Hunt the key at hot and cold, or hunt to the music. The latter being one which, by its modulations from, from pianissimo to forte, indicate the hunter's nearness to the object sought for. The game of blind feeding the blind causes much amusement among the juveniles. Two players sit opposite each other blindfolded and endeavor to feed one another with spoonfuls of milk. I want to try this. And, 
and, and their mishaps are very entertaining to the onlookers. Oh, I definitely have to try that. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> I want that at my Christmas party. Between the hours of 10 and 11 comes the Grand China Christmas Supper, when all adjourn to the dining room to partake of the, of the annual feast, for which the housewives have long been preparing. The table is usually tastefully and often elaborately trimmed with flowers and green leaves. The corners of the long snow-white homespun cloth are caught up in the are, are caught up into rosettas, surrounded with long calla and other leaves. Possibly the entire edge of the table is bedecked with leaves and flowers. The butter is molded into a huge yellow rose resting on bright green leaves, and the napkins assume marvelous forms under the deft fingers of the artistic housewives. Excuse me. The Christmas mush holds the first place in importance among the choice viands of the occasion. It is rice boiled a long while in milk and seasoned with salt, cinnamon, and sugar, and is eaten with cream. Several blanched almonds are boiled into the mush, and it is confidently believed that whoever finds the first almond will be the first to be married. Yikes! While eating the mush, each one is expected to make rhymes about the rice and the good luck it is to bring them. And the most remarkable poetical effusions are in order on these occasions. The Christmas fish is to the Swede what Christmas roast beef is to the Englishman, an indispensable adjunct of the festival. The fish used resembles a cod. It is buried for days in wood ashes, or else it is soaked in soda water, then boiled and served with milk gravy, bread, cheese, and a few vegetables follow together with a pudding made of salt herrings. Whoa! Skin boned and cut into thin slices, which are laid in a dish with slices of cold boiled potatoes and hard boiled eggs covered with a dressing of cream, butter, and eggs, then baked and served hot. Well, different countries, different things, but ew. The fish, rice, and fat goose, and the fat goose are said to be served at every table on Christmas from that of the king to that of the commonest of his subjects. Christmas morning opens with an early service in the church, to which the older members of the family go in sled parties of from 40 to 50 sleds, each drawn by one, two, or even three horses, over those back, over, the, over whose backs jingle rows of silver tone bells. Ah! The sled parties are often especially featured at Christmas time. They start out while the stars are still twinkling in the sky, and the lighted trees are illuminating the homes as they pass. The day itself is observed with less hilarity than other days during the season, the second Christmas or day following being far gayer. Then begin the family parties, with the looking forward to the great Twelfth Night Ball, after which the children and young folks and their evening parties by untrimming or in, I'm sorry, and, and folks end their evening parties by untrimming the tree of their entertainer amidst peals of laughter, songs, and shouts. The tree, of course, has been supplied anew with candles, fruit, and candy. The first are blown out, and the last two struggle for while the tree is drawn slowly toward the door, out of which it is finally pitched by the merry crowd. The Swedes have four legal holidays at Yule, beginning the day previous to Christmas. And they make merry while they last. Besides having the julegran, or Christmas tree, each family places in the yard a pole with a sheaf of grain on top for the birds. 
That's the Burj Christmas dinner. A pretty custom common to, to many countries. Business is very generally suspended during Christmas and the day following, 12th day, and the 20th day. Do as your forefathers have done, this is quotes, and you can't do wrong. It's said to be the motto of the Swedes. So the customs of their forefathers are strictly observed at Yuletide. Sve, the feminine name for, of Sweden, the, quote, Queen of the North, contains what is popularly known to be the burial places of Wooden, Thor, and Freya. The mounds are about one mile from Uppsala and are visited by travelers from all parts of the world. Antiquarian researchers, however, have recently had a word to say in doubt whether these mounds contain the remains of the renowned beings, those ancient travelers. The Swedes, however, still cling to the beliefs that the bones of Wooden, the Alexander of the North, rest beneath the sod at Uppsala. In these mounds have often been found the bones of a woman and of a dog, a bracelet, a filigree work, and a curious pin shaped like a bird, but no sign of Wooden's presence. Yet, peasants believe that Wooden passes by on dark nights, and his horse's shoe with, with, with eight nail holes is exhibited in the museum and Udwagastorp. I tried. New Year's Day is of comparative, comparatively little importance. The Christmas trees are usually relighted for the enjoyment of the poor children, and gifts are made to the needy. The Yule festivals are prolonged for two weeks in many places, during which the people visit from home to home and enjoy many social pleasures. The devout attend church services each day, abandon all work as far as possible, and on January 13th generally finish up the joyous season with the ball. The Swedes do not trim their churches with evergreen at Yuletide, as that is, is an emblem of mourning with them, and is used instead. And is used instead of crepe on the floor, and often strewn before the hearse, and also upon the floor in the saddened homes. So, of course, at Christmas they would not think of using it for decorations, but where they can afford it, or can, but where, where did I go? Okay, but where they can afford it, or can procure them. They use flowers to decorate their homes. In Denmark, Christmas is a time of unusual merriment and rejoicing. No one can possibly avoid it, avoid it works at all from the day before Christmas until the new year, but spends the time in visiting, eating, and drinking. Quote, may God bless your Christmas. May it last till faster and Easter, God, end quote, is the usual salutation of the season. With the people of Denmark, the favorite dish for Christmas dinner is a goose. Everyone, even the cattle, the dog, and the birds receive the best of the larder of receive the best the larder affords on this occasion. There is a peculiar kind of cake that is made for each member of every family, and for some reason not explained, the salt cellar remains on the table throughout Yuletide. Those who own fruit trees feel it incumbent upon them to go at midnight on Christmas Eve and with a stick in hand strike each tree three times, saying as they do so, Rejoice, O tree, rejoice and be fruitful. In Denmark, it is believed by many that the cattle rise on their knees at midnight on Christmas Eve, but no one ever seems to be to, to seems to approve this point this point. 
in this country, and also the children delight in listening to stories of trolls who have been driven to the island at Bornhern by the Parsons, although they once ran riot through Zealand. And the little folks sing pretty songs of Balder, the sun god, which are, special, which are a special feature of the season. It is customary to usher in the new year with the noise of firearms of every description. So that, see, that's where that came from, right? The Christmas sheaf. Far over in Norway's distant realm, the land of ice and snow, the land of ice and snow, where the winter nights are long and dreary, and the north winds fiercely blow, from many a low thatched cottage roof, on Christmas Eve, tis said, a sheaf of grain is hung on high to feed the birds or airhead. I got it. Overhead, right? In years gone by on Christmas Eve, when the day was nearly over, Two desolate, starving birds flew past a humble peasant's door. Look, look, cried one with joyful voice and piping tone of glee. In that sheaf there was plenteous food and cheer, and the peasant had but three. One he hath given to us for food, and he hath given two for bread. But he gave it with smiles and blessings. For Christ's child's sake, he said, Come, come, cried the shivering little mate, for the light is growing dim. Tis time we rest in that cozy nest to sing our, our evening hymn. And this was the anthem they sweetly sang over and over again. Quote, the Christ child came on earth to bless the birds as well as men. Then safe in the safe snug warm sheaf they, they dwelt till the long cold night was gone and softly and clear the sweet church bells rang out on Christmas dawn. When down from their covert, with fluttering wings, they flew to a resting place. As the humble peasant passed slowly by with a sorrowful downcast face, homeless and friendless, alas, am I, they heard him sadly say, for the sheriff, parentheses, he wept and wrung his hands, will come on New Year's Day. The birdlings listened with mute surprise, quote, tis hard, they gently said. He gave us a sheaf of grain for food, but he had but three for bread. We will pray to God he will surely help this good man in distress. And they lifted their voices upon high to crave his mercy and tenderness. Then again to the Christmas sheaf they flew in the sunlight clear and cold. Joy, joy, each grain of wheat they sang is a shining coin of gold. A thousand ducats of yellow gold, a thousand if there be one. O master, the wonderful sight behold, and the radiant light of the sun. The peasant lifted his tear-dimmed eyes to the shining sheaf overhead. Tis the gift from the loving hand of God, and a miracle wrought, he said. For the father of all who, who reigneth over, over his children were, <laughs> will ne'er for, forsake. When they feed the birds from their scanty stone or scanty store, when they feed the birds from their scanty store, for the blessed Christ child's sake. The fields of kindness bear golden grain, is a proverb true and tried. Then scatter thine alms with lavish hand to the waiting poor outside. And remember the birds and the song they sang. When the year rolls round again, the Christ child came on earth to bless the birds as well as men. Mrs. A.M. Tomlinson wrote that. 
All right, I'm going to go ahead and read chapter four, which is Yuletide in Russian, and we'll end after that. And I have something to say about Lapland. We were talking about the laps earlier, so don't go anywhere. So as we're done with this uh, this chapter, I'm, I'm going to talk about Lapland a little bit. Yuletide in Russia. Quotes, light in the heavens high and snow flashing bright, sledge in the distance in its lonely flight. Shenson. Okay. And this enormous kingdom, which covers one-sixth of the land surface of the globe, and where upwards of 15 million beings celebrate in various ways to greet to, to great winter festival of Yuletide. It will be found that the people retain many traditions of the sun worshippers, which shows that the season was once observed in honor of the renewal of the sun's power. With them, however, the sun was supposed to be a female who, when the days began, to lengthen, entered her sledge, adorned in her best robes and gorgeous headdress, and speeded her horses summerward. Russian myths indicate a connection with the Aryans in the remote past. Their songs of the wheel, the log, the pig, or boar, all show a common origin in centuries long gone by. Russia, to most minds, is a country of cold, is a country of cold darkness, oppression, and suffering. And this is true to an altogether lamentable extent. But it is also a country of warmth, brightness, freedom, and happiness. In fact, there are so many phrases of life among its vast population that descriptions of Russian life result about as satisfactory as did those of Saxons. Now remember, this was written in 1908, so this may not apply now, so don't take it personally, you guys, if, if you happen to be a Russian descendant or anything like that. Three blind men of Hinstrom. Okay who went to see the elephant. Each traveler describes the part he sees just as each blind man described the part he felt, and each believes he knows the whole. There are certain general features of the Yuletide observance that are typical of the country. One is the singing of their ancient Koyada songs composed centuries ago by writers who are unknown. They may have been sacrificial songs in heathen days, but are now sung with fervor and devotion at Christmas time. In some places, a maiden dressed in white and drawn on a sledge from house to house represents the goddess of the sun, while her retinue of maidens sing a koilada or carols. Here again appears the ancient custom of gift making, for the maidens who attend the goddess expect to receive gifts in appreciation of their songs. The word koilada is of doubtful origin. It may refer to the sun, a wheel, or a sacrifice. There's no telling how, when, or where it originated. But the singing of these songs has been a custom of the people for time way back. And after the introduction of Christianity, it became a part of the Christmas festivities. Ralston, in his Songs of the Russian People, gives the following translation of one of these peculiar songs. Quote, Koilada, that's Kolyada, I'm sorry, I mispronounced it. Kolyada, Kolyada. Kolyada has arrived on the eve of the nativity. Holy Kolyada. Through all the courts and all the alleys, we found Kolyada in Peter's Court. Okay. Round Peter's Court, there is an iron fence. In the midst of the court, there are three rooms. In the first room is a bright moon. In the second room, the red sun. In the third room, the many stars. End quote. Strangely, you know, if the Russians make make the moon the master of the mansion above and the sun the mistress. A twist about 
the conception of these luminaries worthy of the Chinese and possibly derived from some of Russia's eastern invaders. In the above song, the stars, like dutiful children, all wish their luminous parents good health. Quote, for many years, for many years, end quote. In parts of Russia, the Virgin Mary and birds take the place of the sun and stars in these songs, which are sung throughout the Yule season by groups of young folks at social gatherings or from house to house and form the leading feature of the Christmas festivities. It is hard to realize that the stolid, excuse me, that the, that the stolid, fur-clad Russian is a child of song, for such seem to belong to sunny climes. But throughout his life, from the cradle to the grave, he is accompanied with song, not modern comp compositions, for they are quite inferior as a rule. But those melodies composed ages ago and sung repeatedly through generation after generation, usually accompanied with dancing in circles. The, the <laughs> Kol Yadiki cover a variety of themes relating to the gods, goddesses, and other celestial beings, to all of whom Christian characteristics have been given until they now form the sacred songs of Yuletide. On Christmas Eve, it is customary for the people to fast until after the first service in church. They pray before their respective icons or sacred pictures, recite palm, palm, psalms, and then all start for the church where the service is. In most respects, the same as in the Roman Catholic Church. There are many denominations besides the established church of the country that hold services on Christmas Eve. But to whichever one goes, it is wise to hasten home and to get to bed in season to have a pleasant Christmas Eve dream, as such is sure to come true, according to Russian authority. On Christmas, the people partake of an early meal. In some parts of the country, it is customary to send extremely formal invitations in the name of the host to the guests who are expected to arrive that day. These are delivered by a special messenger and read somewhat as follows. Quote, My master and mistress beg you to consider Father Artanon, I can't even say the name, and you, Mother Agafia Melodona, that for thousands of years it has been thus. With us it is not commenced. With us it will not end. Do not therefore for disturb the festival. Do not bring. Do not bring the good people to despair. Without you, there would be no pleasure. Whoa! At feeling, mom, I can't say that. Da -da -da -da. Without you, there there will be no main festival at Anna Carpona's. Who could absent himself after such an invitation as this? The place of meeting has been decided upon weeks earlier for it must be a well-to-do family possessing a large home to accommodate the guests that usually assemble at Christmas. The fair maidens, each with her mother and retinue, arrive first on the scene, bringing cake and sweetmeats and gifts to the, for the servants. They would sooner freeze in their sledges before the gate than be guilty of alighting without first receiving the greeting of their host and hostess. Having been welcomed, they next pray before the icon, and then are ready for the pleasures arranged for them. One peculiar, one peculiar phase of these house parties is the selecting of partners for the maintenance, which is done by the hostess, the elected sometimes proving satisfactory and sometimes not. They feast, play games, go snowballing, and guess riddles, always having a jolly good time. Reciters of, book, 
of Bulinus, which is poems, are often present to sing and recite the whole night through. For of song and poetry, the Russian never tires. I'm up here, okay. A pretty custom, very generally observed, is the blessing of the house and household. The priest visits each home in his district, accompanied by boys bearing a vessel of holy water. The priest sprinkles each room with water, each person present kissing the cross he carries and receiving his benediction as he proceeds from room to room. Thus, each home is, is sanctified for the ensuing year. The familiar greeting of Merry Christmas is not heard in Russia, unless among foreigners. The usual salutation on this day being greetings for the Lord's birth, to which the one addressed replies, God be with you. The observance of New Year on January 1st, according to the Gregorian calendar, was instituted by Peter the Great in 1700. The previous, the previous evening is known as St. Sylvester's Eve, and it is the time of great fun and enjoyment, according to the post, the seal enters. Yeah, okay. According to the poet. Here is a quote. Here's the poem. St. Sylvester is... St. Sylvester's evening hour calls the maidens round, shoes to throw behind the door, delve the snowy ground. Peep behind the window there, burning wax to pour, and the corn for, for Chanticleer reckon three times over. Or, or <laughs> and the water fountain fling, solemnly the golden ring, earrings too of gold, Kerchief white must cover them while we're chanting over them magic songs of old. End quotes. Offset of a theological being peculiar to the season is supposed to make his entry about this time, writing a bore, another indication of Arian descent. And no Christmas or New Year's dinner is considered complete without pork served in some form. The name of Offset, being so like the French word for oats, suggests the possibility of this ancient god's supposed influence over the harvest, and the honor paid him at the ingathering feasts in Roman times. He is the god of fruitfulness, and on New Year's and on New Year's Eve, Russian boys go from house to house scattering oats and other grain while they sing, quote, In the forest, in the pine forest, there stood a pine tree, green and shaggy, o oisin, ovsin, ovsin. The warriors came, cut down the pine, sawed it into planks, built a bridge, covered it with cloth, fastened it with nails. Oh, Offsen, oh, Offsen, who will go? Okay, who will go among that bridge? Offsen will go there. And the new year, oh, Offsen, oh, Offsen. With this song, the young folks endeavor to encourage the people who are about to cross the gulf between the known and the unknown the past and the future year and the same time and at the same time they they scatter good seed for them to reap a bountiful harvest often the boys sing the following song a field a field out in the open field there's a golden plow goes plowing and behind that plow is the lord himself holy peter helps him to drive and the mother of god carries the seed corn carries the seed corn praise to the lord Praise to God. Praise the Lord God. Make, O Lord, the strong wheat to grow, the strong wheat with the vigorous con, corn. The stalks there shall be like reeds. The earth, the ears shall be plentiful as blades and grass. 
The sheaves shall be in number like the stars. The stacks shall be like hills. The load shall be gathered together like black clouds. End of quote. How singularly appropriate. It seems that boys hungry in old times should be the ones to implore the God of fruitfulness and bestow upon their people an abundant harvest during the coming year. In Petrograd, the new year is ushered in with the cannonade of 100 shots fired at midnight. The Tsar formally receives the good wishes of his subjects, and the streets, which are prettily decorated with flags and lanterns, are alive with people. On New Year's Day, the Winter Palace is open to society, as is nearly every home in the city. For art this season, at least, hospitality and charity are freely dispensed from palace and cottage. On Soltjeldik, uh, Sol I'm trying, the last of the holidays, the solemn service of blessing the water of the Neva is observed. At two o'clock in the afternoon, the people who have gathered in the crowds at various points along the river witness the ceremony which closes the, the festivities of Yule. At Petrograd, a dome is erected in front of the Winter Palace, where in the presence of a vast concourse of people, the Tsar and the High Church of officials, in a grand and impressive manner, perform the ceremony. In other places, it is customary for the distinct pre for the district priest to sing, to officiate, clothed, 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 clothed investments. I keep wanting to say investments, clothed investments. He leads a procession of clergy and villagers who carry icons and banners and chant as they proceed to the river. They usually leave an open space in their ranks through which all the bad spirits likely feel antagonistic to the ruler of winter, the Frost King, and they flee. For water sprites, fairies, gnomes, and other in, in, invisible beings whose delight in sunshine and warmth are forced through the power of the priest's prayers and the showering of holy water to take refuge in the hole that is cut in the ice beside a tall cross and disappear beneath the cold water of the Blessed River. A palm branch from Palestine. Poem. Branch of palm from Palestine, tell me of thy native place. That what fair vale that was steep inclined, first thy stately growth did, gra growth did grace. Has the sun at dawn caressed thee, that on Jordan's waters shone, have the rough night winds distressed thee as they swept o'er Lebanon. And while Psalm's sons brought low, planted thee for humble wages, was it prayer they chanted slow, or some song of ancient ages? And in childhood's first awakening, does thy parent tree still stand, with its full-leaf branches making shadows and the burning on the burning sand? Or when thou from went riven, did it straightaway drop and die, till the desert dust was driven on its yellowing leaves to die? Say, what pilgrim's pious hand cherished thee in hours of pain, when he to this northern land brought thee fled, fed tears like rain? Or pensions on some good night, pure in heart and calm of vision, when bestowed thy, gar thy garland bright, fit as he as for realms of illusion. Now preserved with reverent care, at the icon's gildest shrine, faithful watch thou keepest there, holy palm of Palestine.
where the lamp burns faint and dim, folded in a mystic calm, near the cross, the sign of him, rest and safely sacred palm. Michael Yurovich Lermontov. Okay. Uh, we'll start off the next time we read. Uh, we'll talk about Yuletide in France, and I may add an extra reading day, so just uh, be on hand for that. So let me get back over here. I wanted to really, for really quickly, I wanted to talk about um, the laps, because now, it, you know, you listen to that history we just read about the laps, and they weren't into Santa Claus and all that, but now it's turned into a big public thing, because now Lapland is known as, as quote-unquote, the North Pole. They have a whole Santa's village there, and they have a hotel there that's a Santa Claus hotel, and you can fly there and visit them for vacations and meet, you know, and meet Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus and the whole thing. So that's what I wanted to share with you guys was that, you know, when you look back at that original history and Santa had, you know, didn't have a thing going on there, but now, now it's a big deal, right? Santa at the Arctic Circle. That's Lapland. You can Google it, look it up, and there's a whole thing with Santa there, and you can feed the reindeer and see how the reindeer live, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, 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 it's kind of cool when you think about it. Anyway, that's it for today. Tomorrow I'll be back, and you know what we might do, because it might, tomorrow might be kind of short. Uh, somebody gave me the idea the other day about Santa's reindeer, and uh, I didn't realize that there were like different meanings for their names, and in, in the different verbiages for them, you know, as far as the, the countries, different countries. And I also, you know, was doing some research on them. And it's very interesting because if, if you if you Google it, you realize that there are different stories, you know, outside of the original story, which was the night before Christmas. There's different stories about the reindeer where there's less reindeer, there's more reindeer, and there's different named reindeer. And that good example of that is like in the Santa Claus in that third movie, was it? When Chet, they had that little reindeer Chet, they added that to the sleigh, right? So you had Chet. So it's things like that that I was able to pick up on. So I'm going to do a, a, a show about the about the reindeer. If that runs short, then what I'll do is we'll come back to this book and, and, we'll, and we'll read about France. How's that sound? Does that sound good? All right. Well, I'll see you again. I'll say, I will see you. Thank you guys for coming. And thank you guys for listening. And I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Also, for those of you that are on TikTok, I will not only see you guys at 6.30 p.m. Pacific tomorrow, but at 8 p.m. Pacific tomorrow, I'm going to build another uh, gingerbread house, but I'm going to do it live on TikTok. So for you guys that have, for, for you people, people that listen to the show that are on TikTok, I will be there at 8 p.m. Pacific tomorrow building a gingerbread house on TikTok. All right. Thank you all. And again, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, Share it with five of your enemies. We're Equal Opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. And I want to thank you all for coming. I'll see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great night.